Fran. One second. Radio. Good good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. This is Marianne Russo on the switchboard. I'm turning over the mic to Elise Ronan and welcoming Alexander Sori. Have a great interview. Thank you. Alexander, are you there? Hi, Elise. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'd like to start off. Um, let's tell everybody a little bit about you. This is Alexander Suri of Relief Riders, a very unique form of uh, travel and volunteer uh, good works. They call it voluntourism, but please tell us a little bit more about Relief Riders and why you came up with this whole idea. Well, um, I started Relief Riders uh, about eight years ago, uh, back in an era where um, adventure travel, I mean, I should say, volunteerism really didn't exist. Um, and uh, I, so I started Relief Riders eight years ago. And basically, Relief Riders is a, uh, a small adventure travel company that leads humanitarian expeditions on horseback through the Thar Desert of Rajasthan and now actually, uh, central Turkey. Um, we probably run three, uh, three relief rides a year. Uh, we do in, uh, two, two relief rides in India and one in Turkey. Uh, they last about 15 days, and uh, we travel on horseback for about 250 kilometers. Uh, we visit about five villages and set up uh, three to five programs, anywhere from uh, free cataract surgery programs to dental sur- uh, minor dental surgery programs to pediatric programs and uh, a sustainable livestock program. So okay. we do all of that on, on one trip. We actually treat about 2,400 people in a 15-day period. And um, the general it's designed so that the general public can actually participate in it. And a lot of people from around the world have been joining us for, for eight years now. That's wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. Now, um, why why India? I mean, um, well, I'm half Indian, and um, actually, uh, I hadn't been back to India in 20 years. I went to school in the foothills of the Himalayas, and I think 19 from 1978 through 1981. Um, I was born in New York to a French mother and an Indian father, and um, at about the age of eight, my father sent me to India to discover my roots and. Um, I spent four years in a in a in a school, ten thousand feet, and um, I actually did those four years, and then went to France, and then went back to America. And after twenty years, I went back to India, and I just kind of traveled through India and realized uh, kind of the the immense amount of poverty. And I saw a lot of people staying in five star hotels and uh, whatnot, and I kind of you know felt that the general travel offerings were either going to the major kind of um, uh, tourist points such as uh, Delhi, Agra, Jaipur, um, and that there was so much more to see to a country, but there was also a lot of poverty, and uh, it was just came to me that, you know, you could, I think the people would actually enjoy um, and have a deeper experience traveling through a country and actually being able to, to properly and effectively give back in some fashion. And so that idea spawned you know, in me and my mind, and I just kind of fallen through with it. That, that's really wonderful. Now, I wanted to clarify for our audience something, because I think there's 
it, it was very interesting. This is very fortuitous. There was an article in the New York Times this week about poverty in America. So mm-hmm. we in America think of poverty in one way, but when we talk about the poverty in India or in Rajasthan, we're talking something different. In America, people are considered poor, but they still have they still have televisions, they still have cell phones, some even have computers. So, but it's different in India. When we're talking poverty in India, um, we're talking. Explain a little bit more because what. What sure. I read in several of the articles um, that I have on you, international standards for poverty is if people are living on less than a dollar and a quarter a day, but the Indian government standard for poverty is people who are living on less than a less than twenty five cents a day. So yeah, this that's is this is this this is not just poverty. I mean, I don't think Americans can really even understand that concept of poverty. So can you explain a little bit what this what these villages are like so people can maybe at least start to understand how, you know, what it is that you're dealing with when you go into these villages. Well, yeah, there there's the, I mean poverty is um you know, it's fairly uh rampant in in India. I mean, there's um 1.4 billion people, I think, and uh, really 10% hold uh, all the wealth, and uh, the rest of the country is based on an agrarian um, economy, and uh, that economy is basically shifting and um, changing as it is for us here with all these very strange weather patterns, and it started seven or eight years ago, which is kind of even further um, uh weakened like the the uh you know the poverty levels in, in a sense because uh, a lot of the, the people that live in villages really uh survive off of what they can grow uh but in terms of, of poverty as a rule i mean general health care is missing um certainly dent- dental care is not there um the insidious or crazy thing about it is that a lot of actual uh, a lot of people have cell phones uh, and there there is tv i don't know if everybody has a tv but communally you know there's always a satellite you know somebody's got a, a a tv in a village and like there are you know 30 40 people watching it especially the cricket uh, oh, okay. but you know as a rule in terms of healthcare and um you know it's kind of uh, it's very challenging for people. So, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, but there's one really important thing to to note about the poverty in India is that there's not really a, a lack of dignity. Um, that's the, the most uh, powerful experience. I mean, people can go without health care. Uh, they can go without dental care. They're suffering from cataracts, um, parasites, whatnot, you know, poor, uh, poor nutrition. But the most powerful experience you get when you go there is that they're really kind of, the strength is really in the smiles and the way they treat you um they don't really you know it, you're helping them but but they're not like down and out i mean it, it's extremely challenging and for us i mean it, it you know we we go through a power cut in in the west and it's really kind of like the own, you know practically the end of the world and people talk right. about it for days you know they have power cuts you know every day they only get electricity for three hours so right. it's you know they they've been dealing with conditions like this and 
and are very used to it. So there's a form at one point, like the human existence or, or the human factor kind of shines. And, and, you know, regardless of how severe the problem is, uh, there's always a lot of dignity. Um, and that, that uh, really kind of amazes me every time I, I travel, you know, I, I, I travel on my trips or on my rides. Um, now, it's a very beautiful thing. Yeah. Now, did you, did you, is this the same kind of poverty you said that you just went into central Turkey? Are you, are you seeing the same no, thing there? No, they're two different, yeah. It's interesting, like, that, 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 the, the, we just finished our inaugural Turkey uh, relief ride and, uh, about three weeks ago or less than that. Um, and it's very different because, uh, you know, Turkey is a bit more developed, it's more modernized. Um, they were, they have medical care, but they don't have dental care. And also, uh, you know, especially, you know, for, for the topic that you, you know, you, you talk a lot about in terms of, you know, child-related issues, um, they don't have uh, playgrounds for children. So we, have, we ran two programs. We ran um, a dental camp and also a playground program where we basically installed two, two playgrounds uh, in, in poor communities. Uh, That's wonderful. In Central. Yeah, you know, it, was, it was very nice. We were able to, to kind of install these uh, beautiful playgrounds that, that kids can now play on. It's very moving to kind of just see them like in glee running, <laughs> <laughs> going down the slides and using the swings and, you know, and, you know, it's kind of interesting to know that like 10 minutes before we got there, there was no playground. So it's just a kind of a very magical experience. That um, is nice. That is nice. Now, you do the same thing there. Do you, is now you bring everything on horseback? Is that it? You bring um, all the supplies, everything, or how? No, we we used to. Uh, it that depends. That, that's an itinerary specific um, uh, logistic in the sense that there are some itineraries where we can truck stuff in on camel carts. Otherwise, we have to either truck them in through jeeps or trucks. Uh, it's really all depending. Um, uh, so in Turkey, we were actually we didn't the. We installed the playgrounds, but we brought that in a truck. Uh, okay. And uh, the uh, the dentist actually came uh, in a in a jeep, um, you know, in a vehicle. So uh, and in India also, uh, it depends. I mean, the road the, it, India is in a far worse condition than Turkey. Uh, you know, to do 40 kilometers, it can take you up to four hours. Uh, wow. Which is 40 kilometers is probably like 28 miles or something, or 20 30 miles. Um, so. You know, these, you're talking about cratered roads. I mean, we we could effectively have gone in jeeps, but uh, the way I designed this experience was to really go in naturally on horseback, to really kind of immerse ourselves both in the culture and the landscape, and to really kind of take the time to slow down um, and take it all in while we were performing these activities um, right. or you know these programs. Now, it says something about where you bring in a mobile medical camp into these villages. What exactly but is it, that? Well, there's two different camps that, that we set up and run. Um, one is a free general sc- uh, screening camp or a general medical camp where we have uh, six me- medical specialists on hand. Uh, you have uh, an ophthalmologist, a dentist, a uh, uh, general physician, a, pe- a pediatrician, uh, an ear, nose, and throat specialist, and I always kind of forget <laughs> one of the specialists, so forgive me if I only came up with five. Uh, and what what we do is we basically uh, um, set up a camp uh, for an eight eight to ten hour period, and we treat uh, the local population. So we've seen. I mean, usually when we do a camp like that, um, we we've, we've never seen really uh, numbers below 500. 
but we our highest have been 865 uh, patients treated in about a 10-hour period or a nine-hour period. Really? Um, and yeah, and so so you you get all kinds of uh, patients in. Uh, the majority is really eye, eye problems. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, the remaining, you know, the rest of it is mostly upper res- respiratory, a lot of skin diseases. Um, and then, you know, you, you have more serious cases, uh, blood disorders and um, just, you know, stuff that we can't treat on hand. Uh, right. That involves a lot more care and especially a lot more diagnostics so that we don't really have. Um, right. So are you one one. Uh, yeah. What I was going to say right. is that on a lot of the stuff, um, irrespective of the really severe cases, are you finding that um, a lot of the cases that you deal with, or like, could be handled with simple like nutritional supplements? Like I know in well, in Africa um, they have that that blindness that they can treat with like vitamin D or vitamin A, and, yeah, and the yeah. blindness goes um, away. Yeah, we we actually, I mean, there are. Um, Symptoms. I mean, we we obviously treat with uh, uh, a lot of uh, well, we have a, a lot of medicine that we have on hand, and we have full spectrum antibiotics, um, anti-inflammatories, and whatnot. But I mean, in, in you know, for most cases, people suffering from um, minor to serious infections, we can really treat them. Um, but when it's something that's kind of really kind of degraded the whole system, if it's, if it's a disease that's degraded the whole system, it, we kind of really refer them. Um, we can't really, you know, take that on because we're really kind of a, a lightning strike uh, medical team. And when we come in, uh, and it's really kind of we run under the protocol. We're in association with the, uh, the Red Cross, so we run under the uh, uh, the Red Cross's uh, disaster management protocol. So okay. that's how we set up the camps because it's the most effective way for us to um, to really treat those number of people uh, that you know those numbers and um, we also design our programs for instance you know the pediatric program that we run where we treat about 1200 uh, children um, you know we go to five to seven schools we run a deworming program now that's the most effective way to treat a child because most often you know in in most cases they're suffering from uh, a parasite or bacteria or worms uh, Things that are basically uh, just globbing onto their immune systems and weakening them, and, and basically kind of making them more vulnerable to diseases that healthier people can can easily fight off. And so, by basically giving them a chance to fight back with their own immune system uh, through uh, the medicine that we give them, by being able to actually digest their nutrition and not give it to the parasite, then they, they they're able to focus on a large scale, you know. Uh, towards their own, you know, the progress of their own health. And, and that's really kind of, um, again, you know, on a large scale, we'd go very simple but extremely effective, um, um, you know, pediatric programs or, or the deworming program that we that we have. That's great. Now, is that associated then, because I was reading also um, that in India itself, 48% of the children are considered malnourished. Is that from the parasites or is that their diet or... Um, do you I, I think it's a yeah. I mean, the, the parasites. Uh, yeah, it's a question of the water. It's the question of uh, general hygiene, and then also uh, the poverty level brings that in. I mean, you know, it's just depending on what the crops are yielding. You know, what the trickle down effect is of uh, of the food food sources that they they have 
on hand. Uh, you know, it's a combination of all those things. So what you're also so part of the extreme poverty that you're dealing with in these villages too. There's um, the sanitation systems. The, is there running water? Um, no, I mean, depending, you know, certain, like, it depends. There are certain buildings that have running water, but fairly kind of simple. And if you go to uh, very simple villages, it's mostly just out of a well, and there's no running water. Okay. Um, or a general well, like, where, where, where villagers have to go to, you know, probably walk maybe half a kilometer or a kilometer to, to a general well where they're, they're getting water, if there is a lot of water. Um, but again, you know, what's really interesting today, and it's almost, it's very surreal, the weather, the extreme weather patterns that we've been seeing all across the globe have had, you know, while it's bringing a lot of rain and snow, snowstorms, uh, you know, to, to America during the winter period, we were getting a lot of rain. So areas that had never seen rain in 10 years were now getting doused with, with a lot of rainfall. So things are really actually kind of, uh, positively changing in a very surreal way because now when we travel through the de- desert on horseback, it's green. I mean, it, it's still uh-huh. there's, it's still sand, but it's it's now effectively 60% more green when you look around. It's not tropical by any means. It's a shrub shrub desert. Right. So all of that has and that has had actually an interesting effect on our. Uh, give a goat program, which is a sustainable livestock program where we basically give uh, free goats to blow. Uh, poverty level individuals or families, and they use these goats to um, uh, for nutrition and, and through milking, not through eating the meat of the goat, but uh, right. uh, through through mil- milking these goats, and and they 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 get the milk from the goat, and sometimes the goats have offspring. So if they have, a, uh, if they can basically grow a lot of goats, they they yeah. Let's talk about that give a goat program because I found that very interesting. Um, because as I was reading about it, is that the reason that you would give a goat as opposed to, let's say, a cow, because we're more familiar with cows here in the United States, but it Mm -hmm. turns out that goat milk is actually one of the most complete foods on the planet. That's actually one of the healthiest things for you. Yeah, that's correct. But the the interesting part of it is that while, you know, the reason why we give goats is because they are um, extremely in a, inexpensive to keep. So if we were to give a villager a cow, they would have to take it grazing. They'd have to to basically it would be much too much of a responsibility. A goat can basically eat shrubs, anything. You know, they've even been known to eat like all the seals and the plastic. You know, on a car. <laughs> right. It's kind of crazy though. They'll just strip anything down. So for the most part, if you have two or three goats, you can just basically leave them, you know, you, you, you tie them up and you leave them around, you know, wherever the dwelling that the, the villagers are living in, and um, they, they basically can sustain themselves very e- easily, and then they give off uh, um, a lot of milk. Um, what I was telling you before was basically since the, um, the, uh, the environment was changing and becoming more green, um, the goat herded before when we were under uh, a drought period i used to buy goats extremely cheaply because goat herders i would get them you know maybe you know one to three or four goats individually from uh, you know several goat herders um to give them away uh and they were you could easily acquire them because uh there was not enough to eat uh there's just everything was you know drought ridden and so 
uh, a goat herder, it was too expensive for a goat herder to keep more than like you know ten goats. So if he had fifteen, he just he didn't want them around, so you'd get them. Now. Right. Goats have gone from fifty dollars uh, back, like fifty, sixty dollars back, seven years ago, to two, two to three hundred. I mean, I'm very lucky because I work with an outfitter that has, that grows goats now, and um, that has, uh, you know, he can get in more inexpensive goats, but they're still costing around a hundred dollars. Really? Uh, which is, blows my mind. Yeah, and this is again, you know, what's happening uh, with the environment, with the global climate change. Uh, and it, it's really happening before our very eyes. It's not like it's happening over a course of like you know ten, twenty, thirty years. Uh, and, and it's kind of incredible to just know that that um, that it's happening so fast. That that's that's very interesting. That it's becoming such a business, and that it's just it that people have sort well, of they're, they're making on. up for all, all the <laughs> they're making they up for a long time, right? Yeah. Right. So, now, the yeah. the idea, too, about I just want to also talk a little bit more. It's like the families, though, when they sure. do get the goats, it's not just about drinking the milk, though. It might even be about creating a business for themselves. Like what? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, if they can if they can get the goat to, goats to have offspring and they have a collection of goats, then they basically labor on the milk, or they sell the excess they, they sell the excess milk at market, or they labor on the milk and make cheese and sell it for more money at market. Um, and that's how they get into business, and it becomes, you know, viable for them. It really kind of gives them a hand up into uh, more opportunity, um, and so that that's that's how that works. But we really we give it, you know, we we've been focusing on on the the elderly um, and also widows because widows uh, tend mm-hmm. to get sequestered to. Um, uh, to their their houses or their dwellings, uh, you know, they're considered cursed or even you know they're blamed for their really? husband's death, and nobody wants to deal with them. And so, so we 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 seek them out. You know, when we basically go um, to a village, uh, we kind of triangulate uh, from various perspectives. You know, we go to the village official and we ask for his list of poor uh, of people that that qualify, and then we go to the principal of the school, and so we find out. Because I mean, you know, you, um, it's it, 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 what well, some of the challenges we had with our GoPro program in the beginning uh, was that we would ask just the village official, you know, to give us a list, and sure enough, we got a list. But when after we gave the goats away, you know, I had several ladies come up to me. I was literally, you know, mounting my horse, and and they were crying, and they said, you know, we're really appreciative of you coming to our village and doing this program, but you know, we don't we didn't get any goats, and I was like, well, how is that? And they said, well, you know, we are from the BJP party. Oh, no, we're from the Congress party. And, uh, you know, the person that the, the village official is from, from the BJP party, and he only selected his constituency. So, you know, he, uh, through kind of these experiences we had, we, we, we learned very quickly that we couldn't really rely on, um, you know, we needed to really basically get different perspectives to see who, you know, you can also f- uh, create... Uh, fake um, below poverty level certificates. The politics of corruption. Must, it, it sounds like there's yeah, like I mean, a it, lot of that you have to deal with. Not just the poverty itself, but there's politics, there's corruption, and then there's there's the culture itself. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's mostly it's mostly uh, politics and corruption. I mean, the culture is is. I mean, while nuanced, it, it doesn't really kind of seek to kind of, um, 
you know, um, devalue the experience we offer. You know, right. it, it, you have to take into consideration that we're a small group of maybe, you know, twelve to fifteen people traveling on horseback through the desert, and we show up and. Um, there's a lot of media that gets written about us, so a lot of people, and the word of mouth is very strong. So, kind of, you know, those people, the, those people, and you know, politically speaking, kind of come and always offer us things so that you know they get to be seen with us, or you know, we deliver the aid, and, and it kind of gets a little bit challenging after a while, and you know, you just kind of have to go in um, and not listen to anybody and just kind of keep focused on your job, right? <laughs> you know, the right. job that you have to do because it can get kind of complicated you know what i'm going to want to come back um for a little bit and let's talk about the kids that you deal with because as as you mentioned we're very children oriented and um Mm. well we and actually we're more like even just special needs children oriented and i was Mm. just wondering in in all the trips that you go to as poverty is a disability or a special need unto itself do you see any children that we would classify as special needs? Do you see any children with autism or any children with physical disabilities or um, or at, at oh, all sure. in the village yeah. when you go? Yeah, I mean, I think autism, you know, I think it, it's certainly, you know, it's really kind of survival of the fittest, and obviously we get to kind of experience children that, that, that are challenged um, right. on on various level, whether they're handicapped physically or mentally challenged or or whatnot, you know, you do see them. I mean, I think in terms of the autistic perspective, I mean, I'm sure there are aspects, powerful aspects to that, but it's so hard given the contrast of what we have to deal with, you know, in terms of you know what they're really going through um it become it takes a, a tertiary position um cuz you know we're trying to stave off an infection that if it doesn't go treated in the next 5 to 7 days could become terminal oh, you know right. autism okay. you know what i mean it, it, it would, right. autism right. would be something that we deal with late, later and like i said we're mostly kind of um a lightning strike, you know, program that comes in very quickly, sets up, and really kind of takes care of extreme needs, so that we're able to save lives. Um, okay. And, All right. You know. No, uh, no, no. That's 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 that sounds. You know, it, it's a different kind of perspective, and yes, I think that it's yeah, we you do, know we it's do see terrific. Them. I mean, you know, there's lear- yeah, there's learning. You know, and we all, you know, and I also am very, uh, I'm very conscious of this. My partner works with uh, autistic children, and um, yes, you know, we love so your partner. Had... Cat's been on our show. <laughs> yes, she several has. times. So I've, I've had an education myself, and uh, you know, sure, I wonder. You know, I go through these fields, and I know that pesticides cheap, and um, and I, you know, you, you can only imagine, you know, how it's filtering down into the wells, or right. you know, how it's affecting children. But it, no. it, again, it, it's, it's yeah. Now, I was going to say, um, now, on several trips to the, just in general for education, because you talked about the playground that um, you built mm-hmm. in Turkey, but do you bring other, like, school supplies and things for these children? Cause, you know, yeah, we bring a lot, actually. From we, what I understand Indian. is they have to yeah. pay for everything themselves. Like, they even have to pay to go to school. So there's there's just this huge barrier 
for um, a lot of oh, no, In families. India, you have free government schools, but also, you know, free government schools means kind of like really no consistency in educational right. materials offered. Um, you have, you know, depending on the more rural areas that really kind of don't get visited, like, you know, it's kind of a far-flung outpost, um, and there's, you know, a real lack of water. Um, you, you re we've ridden up to schools where the kids are playing outside, the schoolrooms are padlocked, uh, and the, the principal or the, the teacher that, that's there that's supposed to, you know, it's a paid government worker, is really on the corner with all of, you know, the guys playing card games and drinking. And, you know, we yell at them and we tell them, get back to school, you know. Um, and, it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's fa fairly surreal. So, um, you know, there, there, there is, uh, you know, the, the government schools, while they they do work, there are some extremely heroic teachers that really kind of bear the burden of a great challenge to 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 deal with you know a considerable lack of of educational materials. It's it's difficult. So you know we these schools and we supplement them with uh, you know each school gets each each child at the school gets a a notebook, a drawing pad, um, crayons, pencils, erasers, rulers, brain games. Um, and I make sure that I give them a lot of um, sporting equipment, and so I really outfit the school with, uh, you know, cricket uh, sets, you know, bats, wickets, balls, uh, soccer, you know, soccer balls, tennis balls, uh, volleyball nets, volleyballs. I mean, you name it. I, I try and get the kids. We try and get the kids so interested in school, and you know, create an extracurricular kind of incentive you know through through all these uh sports that we can now get them to to play because of the equipment we give them to stay in school otherwise we'll we lose these kids to to the fields you know and they start working at about 6 or 7 years old then right. they work in in the fields and you you never get them back they they lose their education um right. from the so, statistics it said that only 66% of all indian children actually graduate from elementary school and then yeah, even yeah. And and then the number just goes spirals down from there for high school, and you know we're not even going to talk about like what we consider post secondary and that's you know college or anything like that. So yeah, and you know those who there are some that make it out, and interestingly enough, we find this also in our dental programs. I mean, and it seems to be, you know, I think you you have this problem in the in the uh, in the U.S. as well, and it, it happened a long time ago. You know, those that get the education or you know crawl out of their their poverty status, go in and get, get an education, go to a town, um, and become dentists. Uh, the, the real issue is that the dentists now that have made themselves um, and go into business, they don't ever want to go back right. to the rural areas that they came from because it's, it just represents a, a poorer income. You know, they they want to have their experience. You know, they want to have a thriving dental clinic and, you know, buy their house and buy their cars and, you know, the whole kind of consumer um, game or whatever. Uh, right. So that's also another issue. Right. The, 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 you know, once the, those that manage to get out, they they tend to generally not come back. Right. That's that's a, you know that's a challenge everywhere. <laughs> yeah. We have, I mean, like I you think said, we have that in, here in this too. country with our farmers. Yeah. You know, in Absolutely. the U.S. I mean, like 
the sons of farmers left for an education, became lawyers, and you know never came back to learn the trade. Or the okay, don't pick on lawyers because we're lawyers here. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you know what? I think we're actually coming to the end of our program. I just wanted oh to um, let everybody know that um, relief now is it Relief Riders International or Relief Relief? What oh, it's is Relief your, Riders International, yeah. ReliefRidersInternational.com. Right. Mm-hmm. What, now, I'm looking for the URL for your... Oh, it's, uh, yeah, www.ReliefRidersInternational. It's all spelled out in full. Right, and then com. we can... Dot com. And people can find out about your programs. We can find out about the Give a Goat program because... Sure, yeah. um, You know, if you don't want to go, you know... Um, People won't necessarily be going on like a lot of the volunteering trips, but we can donate to the. I love the Give a Goat program. I think that's yeah. just such an amazing thing. Or even the Give us the. You have a Gift of Sight program where you. Can, yeah, we have the, can, the free cataract surgery program. People are, are welcome to purchase eye surgeries or goat. Where we distribute them. We have a nonprofit organization that basically allows people to deduct this, um, and uh, you know we tend to get a lot of people that can't make a trip but but really want to help and um there's a lot of eye surgery eye surgeries and goats sold throughout the year so if you'd like to offer your children a a gift you know this is a perfect way to make it count yes yes because we always talk about doing and teaching our children about charity and what to you know how to do it and how to do something that's a little bit different and i think this is um i think this is a wonderful program and i think it's a wonderful thing that you do and very interesting thank you um organization that you have and uh we would like to thank you very much for coming on today My pleasure. And thank you for having me on your show you're welcome telling us all about relief riders and the wonderful good works you do um in india and now in turkey and yep. um as i just want to close out the show as marianne sure. always likes to tell us um make sure that you educate yourself every that you are your best your child's best advocate Thank you again, Alexander, for um, coming on our show. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye.